0: We're going to uh, read the word now. Uh, Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke. And stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, though at their wits' ends. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty grounds, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased. And he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste but it lifted the needed out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Thanks,
1: Andy. My name's uh, Phil, if we've not met, I'm the Associate Minister here, and it's my pleasure to take you through what has become, in the last year or two really, uh, my favourite psalm. Uh, and I hope I'll convince you of its riches as we go through it this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, and would you open our hearts to overflow with thanksgiving. Amen. Now, a little while ago, uh, The Guardian columnist, Moyasana, wrote an article about thankfulness, and uh, she observed that the lifestyle gurus were plugging their overpriced gratitude journals If you've got one, uh, I make no comment. Um, And her response, though, is less than enthusiastic. She wrote this. Even hearing the word gratitude makes my shoulders tense and my eyes narrow. I'm too cynical to get on board with this particular Oprah bandwagon. Too British, too atheist, too sensitive to schmaltz. But then she describes her surprise when challenged to give it a go. She found how much healthier and happier she became as she engaged in the very simple discipline of each day writing down what things she had to be thankful for, and giving thanks. And the truth is, as a human being, you were designed to give thanks. We are designed to receive from God and to give thanks to God. That's the way God has designed you and me, and we're happiest when we walk in that way. Which is why it is so fascinating that she ties her ingratitude to her atheism. But the problem for Christians is that one of the greatest motivations for giving thanks to God doesn't have much traction in our hearts. We are meant to give thanks to God for our salvation, but quite often our attitude to sin is such that actually we just don't feel enormous thanks to God. For saving us, we're like um. Imagine a teenage girl who's been invited to a party. All of her friends are going. She desperately, desperately wants to go. You know, life life is over if I don't go to this party. And um, parents need to get on board with that truth. And as the parent, you know, you know that there are a couple of boys who, um, who are really out for her and want to take advantage of her. You know, she's too young to be. Really understanding these things, and you know there's going to be an awful lot of hard drugs flying around at this party. And you know how destructive it would be for her, and so you say no. Now, how should she feel about that? Actually, she should be thankful. You have rescued her from all sorts of dangers. Does she feel thank you? Will she? I'm so grateful you're my parents. Do you imagine a weekend of of joy around the house, of helping with the housework, of flowers appearing? You will have a grumpy, sullen, miserable teenager. Hard to spot from usual. No, I didn't say that's there. Uh, you'll have a grumpy, sullen, miserable teenager because she just doesn't understand the reality of what she's been spared. And the truth is that when it comes to sin, very often you and I as Christians, we just don't understand the reality of what God has saved us from. And so we, uh, yeah, I guess I should be really thankful because I'm told I should and I sing the songs, but actually in my heart, I wouldn't really mind if God said, you know what, you can carry on sinning and you come to heaven anyway. I, I think great, actually. And Psalm 107 is a psalm that teaches us to be thankful by helping us understand the reality of sin. And so if you are anything other than overwhelmed with gratitude to God this morning, then this is a psalm that I hope will speak to you. Now Psalm 107, you'll see it it begins, give thanks to God, and each of the four sections End, uh, you'll have heard as Andy read it to us. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. You'll see it in verse 8. You see it um, in verse 15. Each of the four sections ends with giving thanks. It's a psalm designed to stir up thanksgiving as we see what we've been saved from. Now, uh, just to step back, locate ourselves. So Psalm 107, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see it's the beginning of Book 5, the final book of the Psalms. Book 4, finished if you like, it's tracing the history of Israel through the Book of Psalms, and Book Four ends with the people of God in exile, their land destroyed, the temple smashed, the people traumatized, far away from God's presence, far away from God's promises. And look uh, with me, the last at the end of um, Psalm 106, verse 47: "Save us, Lord our God; gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise." They're crying for rescue that they might give thanks to God. And then Psalm 107 begins, Give thanks to the Lord our God, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Gather us, he redeemed, he gathered. Now, as I said, this song has a specific history. God's people had rebelled against him and had been driven from their land by the Babylonian armies. But when they cried out to him, he answered them, and, he, and they rescued him. It's their song to celebrate their rescue. But, but as you read through the psalm, the language is deliberately broad, because this psalm is designed to point beyond the exile that happened at that point in history to something else, to the, the exile of God's people, of you and me, not in Babylon, but from east, west, north and south. In other words, this is this is the song for God's people from every nation praising him for his rescue of us from our sin and his judgment from our spiritual exile. In other words, if you trust in Jesus, this is your song for your rescue. And we'll see that as we go through it. Now, you, um, you probably picked up from the reading that there are four matching sections. and each one, you have this pattern of there's a hopeless predicament, there's a cry to God in distress, there's a rescue, and then there's a call, give thanks for his unfailing love. Repetition. Repetition is God's way of driving important truths into thick skulls. And, And the... Th- the the important truth that he wants to embed into our thick skulls is that being saved by Jesus from sin is a very wonderful thing. Being saved by Jesus from sin is a very wonderful thing. Now, maybe, I guess there'll be some here who, um, who are a bit resistant to the religious language of sin. My appeal to you is simply, look, just listen to what the Bible teaches, and if you find that it chimes in with your experience of life, then maybe, just maybe, the Bible is telling the truth. And maybe, just maybe, what the Bible has to say about the solution is true as well. Now, one final thing before we dive in, which is that although our translation says some, verse 3, sorry, verse 4, some, verse 10, some, verse 17, some, verse 23, the original, it's just they, they, they. In other words, this isn't four different groups, This is four perspectives on the same experience. Four perspectives on what it's like to live in the miserable reality of sin and then be saved by God. Right, enough faffing around, let's get in. So firstly, hungry and homeless to a city and a feast. Verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. It's two enormously evocative pictures of human longings. Firstly, lost, searching, yearning for a place that feels like home, a place where I'm known, where I'm I'm loved and valued for who I am, a place where I have a right to be, and just as importantly, a place where I want to be. And secondly, thirsty, hungry, desperately longing for something that will satisfy you can picture the person lost in the wilderness, clothes ragged, mouth parched, growing hunger gnawing at the stomach, eyes hungrily scanning the horizon for some familiar sign to point the way back home. I read uh, of a couple in New Zealand who got lost in the wilderness for 19 days when heavy fog descended. Don't believe the, uh, the tourist board, it's a very foggy country, land of the long white cloud. The... Um, uh, Sorry to Kiwis, I'm, I'm half Kiwi, and I never see that on the advertising brochures. But there we go. Um, so this couple, they're, they're stuck in cloud. They're lost for, for 19 days. They're tired, they're hungry, they had five days' worth of food, which soon ran out. And eventually, eventually, a rescue helicopter spotted a small fire they'd made when they'd just given up hope, and they were picked up. They were, uh, they were taken back to, um, to hospital, but on the way, uh, one of the rescue team had a chocolate bar in their pocket and gave it to the guy, <laughs> and he shared it with his wife, and he said, it is the best chocolate I have ever eaten in my life. I have no idea whether it was good quality chocolate or not, but can you imagine how good that would have tasted after 19 days starving and lost? Well, hope comes in this psalm not f- in a rescue helicopter, but in God. Verse six. Then they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. See, home is not a place, home is a person. Psalm 90 declares, Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation. And the same is true for the food and drink that our souls crave. Jesus declares in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you realize only God can satisfy the deep longings of your human soul? You cannot satisfy and fill an infinite longing with finite stuff, career success, relationships, popularity, or any of the thousand ways that we address our restlessness and the hunger and thirst of our aching souls. Search and rescue parties cannot help us with spiritual lostness, and not even the best organic Tony's Chocoloney can deal with the hunger of the human soul the appetites of our thirsty souls will never, never be truly met until we have tasted the unfailing love of Jesus. We taste it now. In eternity we'll feast. So give thanks to the Lord that in his unfailing love, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has rescued you from a life of unanswered longing and fruitless searching. He has given you an eternal home and he has given you the food your soul hungers. Okay, secondly, uh, chained in darkness um, and then gone into to freedom and light. Um, I wonder if, uh, can we make sure the doors are open front and back? Because it's quite still in here? Uh, is it possible to make sure the doors to the street are also propped open? Uh, it may be I'm boring, but it's starting to feel a bit close in here. Um, and God's word isn't boring. Um, so secondly, chained in, in darkness um, going to freedom and light. The second picture is slavery. Uh, Chained in darkness, but brought to freedom and life. Uh, Look with me at verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands, and they despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Chained in darkness, but brought to freedom and light. Now there is just so much irony here. We rebel against God, why? Well, because I want to be free. I want to be free of God's restrictive rules. I want to do what I want to do. I want to to be able to to meet my needs. But to rebel against God's good, wise, life-giving commands is not the path to freedom. We actually end up enslaved by the very desires we wanted to be free to indulge. And most of us know the misery of being trapped in that dark slavery. It's very interesting. Do you notice here in verse 10 that he associates it with darkness? It fits the imagery of a a prisoner or a slave in a dungeon. But addiction to our desires, it never leads me out into the light. Always it turns me in in shame to hide in in darkness. I was uh, reading the Lord of the Rings again. Uh, well, when I say reading, I mean listening to the audio, but, but it is one step up from watching the movie, so don't judge me too much. Now, if you've um, if you've read The Lord of the Rings, you'll know that the most tragic character is Gollum, this creepy little creature who is a uh, human who just gets diminished and turned into just nothing by his obsessive, compulsive, enslaving desire for this ring of power. There's a very striking description at the moment when Gollum is truly lost. Tolkien writes, he wandered in loneliness, weeping a little for the hardness of the world. One day it was very hot, and as he was bending over a pool, a dazzling light from the water pained his wet eyes. He wondered at it, for he'd almost forgotten about the sun. Then for the last time he looked up and shook his fist at her. But as he lowered his eyes, he saw far ahead the tops of the misty mountains. And he thought suddenly, it would be cool and shady under those mountains. The sun could not watch me there. He found a little cave out of which the dark stream ran, and he wormed his way like a maggot into the heart of the hills. And the ring went into the shadows with him. Utterly enslaved by what he desires, and driven into the darkness. But when he cried out to God in the psalm, he rescues. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. So too when we cry out to God in in despair over slavery to sin and the dungeons of our own desires, God is mighty to save. In John 8, Jesus tells us what he'll achieve through his death on the cross. He says, look, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Sin no longer owns or defines you if you're a follower of Jesus. It no longer determines your eternal future or your earthly life. Now we might still feel the chains of its sinful addiction on our wrists as we foolishly give in to those temptations day after day, but the chains are no longer locked and one day we'll get rid of them for good. So give thanks to the Lord that in his unfailing love he has rescued you from the dungeon of your sin. Jesus has broken the power of sin over you. Uh, Thirdly, foolish and afflicted to healing and wisdom. Verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Now we fool ourselves that turning our backs on God is a sign of progress. I remember uh, walking the dog one morning talking to somebody who I knew quite well and we were discussing um, how you... How you live your life, your ultimate way of living. And when I talked about the Bible, he just scoffed and he said, You can't live your life by a 2,000 year old book in the modern world. We just think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we've got modern scientific discoveries. We now know the best way to live is to follow your own heart. And we think we're being wise and rational and mature. But we're not, we're being fools actually we're turning away from life. We don't find life when we turn our backs on God. We draw near to the gates of death. And so let me say this rather bluntly. Sin, every act of sin is an act of self-harm. Every time I sin, it is an act of self-harm. Back in uh, 2013, in very different weather, there was a There was a 140-car pile-up on the Isle of Sheppey road bridge. Fog on the Thames had shrouded the, the road bridge in a thick blanket, and no one could see more than a few feet, and there'd been an accident. And so the overhead gantries had changed the speed limit from 70 miles an hour to 30 miles an hour. But most people didn't slow down. They thought they knew better. No one else is going 30 miles an hour. They all seem fine. I don't need to obey the speed limit. I'm a good driver. I mean, what could go bang? And 140 cars smashed into each other. And the same is true in life. Our culture says, self-fulfillment, that's the way to live the fullest life. Follow your heart. Pursue your dreams. And it's so attractive when it frees me from draining relationships or unwelcome commitments. But as Adam Curtis demonstrates in his BBC documentary, Can't Get You Out of My Head, this this individualism has just led to an epidemic of lonely, empty, miserable, unfulfilled people. The drivers who didn't crash on the Isle of Sheppey Bridge were those who admitted, look, I can't see the full picture. I'm not going to disobey the rules. And they pulled over. And that's what happens here. Verse 19. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. How interesting. He sent out his word and healed them. It is God's word that brings sanity and healing to our lives. His word is unchangingly true and unfailingly reliable. And it is so wonderful to turn from the the confusion and the the voices of our culture to the timeless, true wisdom of God. To say with Peter, to whom shall I go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So give thanks to the Lord that in his unfailing love, he's rescued you from the self-harm of sin and given his word, which is light and life and truth. And lastly, we're not going to do the, the last section of the psalm. We'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll just stop really at verse 32. Overwhelmed by judgment to safe and at peace. Verse 23. Some went out into the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest. That lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. When cancer or depression overwhelms us, when someone we love dies or a family relationship blows up or we made redundant, or just when we found, find ourselves... Baffled by the uncertainties of pandemics and economic downturn and war in Europe, it can feel like we are being tossed around like a little boat on a storm. And when life is like that, we need to know God is with us and God can calm the storm. Well, that's undoubtedly true. But here's a question Why is this the longest section in the psalm by far? Why is this twice as long as all the other sections? A section about going on the sea, when most of the exiles had never been near the sea. Why? Well, it must be that in the Bible, the raging seas are a picture of God's judgment. In Genesis 6, God undoes creation by sending a terrible flood in his judgment. As Jonah disobeys God, a terrifying storm comes down on the ship. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... He urges us to build our lives upon the rock so that we can withstand the wind and the waves of God's judgment. And so let me say to you, even if you have never felt a thirst for God in your soul, even if you've never felt enslaved by your sinful desires, even if you don't feel that you've ever suffered from ignoring God and doing life your way, even then, Every single one of us faces what one writer calls the wild waves of God's wrath, the unbearable storm of his judgment. But thankfully, there is a rescue for this too. Verse 28, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. And his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. As you read those verses, you can't help but hear an echo, I think, of, of Jesus standing up in that boat with the disciples and calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And you realize as you read this, Jesus was doing more than demonstrating, I am God, disciples, and I can control the storm. He was also showing the disciples not only what he could do, but what he would do in a few weeks' time. Soon enough, he would calm a far more terrifying storm, not by, well, speaking from a wooden boat, but by being silent on a wooden cross, absorbing the storm of God's wrath for sinners like you and me, so that we might enjoy the calm and peace with God and reach our desired haven of heaven. Uh, John Newton, who wrote uh, the hymn Amazing Grace, perhaps the most famous hymn in the English language, was a wicked, godless slave trader and sailor. And on a voyage home to England in 1748, his life was changed. There was a a terrible storm and he awoke to find the ship pretty much breaking apart. As he went up to the deck, the captain sent him back down below to get a knife to cut some ropes. The man who'd been in his place on the deck was swept overboard and drowned by a massive wave almost immediately. While others bailed the water out because the decks were literally being ripped off by a by the storm waves. He was tied to, uh, to to the wheel of the ship, the helm of the ship, to try and steer it through the storm. And he endured terrible hours alone in that storm. For he knew enough of his Bible to know that he was in a far worse state spiritually than physically. That the storm of God's wrath that awaited him on judgment day was far more terrifying And he had far less chance of escaping that than he did this storm at sea. But he found hope when he remembered that Jesus had died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God's judgment for wicked sinners like him. And he put his trust in Christ and was wonderfully transformed and turned away from his wicked ways and lived a wonderful life of service to others afterwards. He found in Jesus Christ his salvation from the storm of God's wrath. And I wonder, I don't know how many of you have been in a storm at sea. Uh, I guess few of us looking out. Uh, don't look to me many uh, salty sea dogs amongst us this morning. But do you know what it is like to be saved from the storm of God's judgment by Jesus' death in your place? To enjoy what Romans 5.1 calls peace with God. If that's you, give thanks to the Lord, for in his unfailing love, he has borne the storm of wrathful judgment, so you can enjoy peace. Now, we're not going to go into the last section. Uh, Basically, it shows um, our sin and salvation, it has an impact on others. Uh, Our lives, it spills over into others, and this cycle carries on through life as we continue to wander into sin and come back to God. But we haven't got time for that today. As we close, the, the psalm encourages us to do three things to ponder, to give thanks, and to tell our story. Firstly, ponder. And in, I wonder if, if you don't trust in Jesus whether verse 43 is particularly for you. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Think. Ponder. Don't rush on to the next thing. Ponder what the Bible says about sin, that experience of lostness and longing, of unsatisfied desire, of slavery, of self-harm and a fear of God, ponder it. Does that match your experience? And if it does, might it, might it not be possible that the same Bible that tells you that is telling the truth when it tells you there is a Savior, Jesus? Ponder. Don't forget. Ponder. Secondly, give thanks if you do trust in the Lord Jesus Turn off the phone. Don't multitask. Meditate and pray through this psalm. Put yourself in each of these sections and then think and pray how these realities have played out in your life and then look up and give thanks. Around 66 times in Scripture we're commanded, give thanks. Because from the first page to the last, the Bible is the story of God's unfailing love for undeserving sinners like us and the more we understand what God has saved us from and for the more our hearts will be full of thanksgiving you know what you could um you could write your own psalm 107 it doesn't have to rhyme but write out how God has saved you write out what your experience has been of living away from God and coming back to God describe your salvation And list out all that you can think of thanking God for as you look at your life following him. And then, lastly, tell your story. Go out and tell others. If you've been redeemed, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. This ought to be the most normal thing in the world. Evangelism is not some weird Christian practice for advanced spiritual gurus. It's not... Something complicated for experts in apologetics. It's just the normal response. Something good happens. I want to tell others. Do that, and you can begin this morning. Look, before we talk about the heat wave, uh, and my goodness, how hot it is, and how hot will it be, and when will it change? Uh, you know, everybody's living in the same city. Uh, it's not that interesting. Uh, why don't we begin our conversations by asking one another, "What's your story?" What's your story of God's unfailing love in your lostness? Tell one another and then give thanks. And then pray for opportunities to tell that story to those who don't know Christ this week. Give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. And you'll only do that. You'll only live a life marked by the health and the happiness that comes with thanksgiving if you understand and you own and believe what the Bible tells us about the misery of sin and therefore how good it is that God has saved us. Give thanks. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you that you save us from sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you save us from uh, the misery, the self-harm that sin brings to us in this life. But thank you most of all that through the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you save us from the eternal judgment that, you, that our sin ought to bring upon us, that the Lord Jesus has suffered the storm of your wrath, that we might enjoy the peace and the joy and the haven of paradise. Lord God, help us never to forget or lose sight of how good it is that you have saved us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.